Morning Church. Among all the times I'm here, today is one of my most grateful days. The reason why is I had to preach in Mandarin just now, so I'm just grateful I can speak English again, you know. <laughs> uh, cut a long story short, we are on this series, FAQ. Earlier this year, we kind of came to the church. Uh, thank you for all who submitted your responses. We wanted to understand you a bit more. We wanted to catch your heartbeat and answer some of your burning questions. So we did a survey and we gathered quite a number of questions and we kind of organized into four big categories to form a series FAQ today. My topic, it's one of the blo big blocks, it's on culture. Now culture, it is a very broad topic, right? Among questions that we got, we're seeing that our world has evolved. Is God still relevant today? We got questions about biblical practices, cultural practices, how to share the gospel, and so on and so forth. Now, due to the breadth of the topic, I'm going to lay a foundation for us just with the first question, and then later maybe we can take on some of the more technical questions in our dialogue, all right? I want to start us off by sharing a story on how God transformed the Irish culture. The Irish civilization in 400 AD, it's something very foreign to many of us. They were a barbaric, warmongering, bloodthirsty tribe. They would go around having wars with neighboring nations, and they would capture these prisoners, uh, prisoners of war, back to their country and sacrifice them to their gods. Now, when historians started to read their mythology, they understood a thing of two about why they live such a lifestyle. And it came from their worldview about God. See, for the Irish, the primary word to describe their relationship with their God, it's the word fear. They were looking forward to this impending war between the gods that would leave man's meat scattered everywhere. Their gods were these shapeshifters. They could become a bird, a bear, a tree. And at every point, they were out there to set traps to get humanity. So it's no wonder for the Irish, it's very difficult for them to sleep at night due to that fear. And the only way they could go to sleep was by intoxicating themselves with alcohol. That's why today you see Irish bars and so on, right? Now, they thought to themselves, okay, my gods are like that. The best way to appease them, to please them, is to sacrifice humanity. What better way? So they not only sacrifice the prisoners of war, they sacrificed their own people. They had this practice where someone would bake a large cake, they would cut it into equal slices, blindfold everybody in the room, they would blacken one piece, and everyone had to take a piece. The one who unfortunately selected the black piece, he would have to jump into the fire and sacrifice himself to the gods. Now, they were that kind of a culture. 
when a guy called St. Patrick in the year 432, he brought the gospel to the Irish civilization. Whereas everyone there couldn't sleep at night, Patrick slept like a baby because of the peace that his God gave him. Where everyone were fearful that their God were out to get them, Patrick knew that his God protected him and loved him. Where their ways of pleasing their gods was to sacrifice themselves. Patrick's God sacrificed his own son for humanity. And Patrick shared these things with them, and there was a shift in the civilization. They became less fearful, they became less bloodthirsty, they stopped sacrificing themselves. And this shift, we can see it in two artifacts that were found by archaeologists in recent years. The first one happened before the gospel came, and it's this kind of a cup here. We call it the Gundestrup cauldron. And you can see all around the cup, that's animals, humans being used as sacrifice. This one right here on your left, it's a cook god holding this human-like beings. Imagine them as lobsters, and he was ready to cook them, okay? The second cup came after the gospel arrived. It's called the Adak Chalice. Now you see the shift. That's no more God-like creatures. That's no more sacrifice. What's interesting about this cup, it's that the base of the cup, it's very intricately designed. Now, that's something unusual, right? All our bottles, our cups, the base, it's, it's empty. Why did they do that? This cup was used during their communion. And as they took the communion, the base of the cup would face the heavens. They, it was as if they were trying to say, as we take communion, our God is watching over us. What a shift from a God that's out to get them to a God that's watching over them and did you know one of the biggest celebrations for the Irish is St. Patrick's Day. They are celebrating St. Patrick bringing the gospel to the civilization. Now, let me ask you, was God relevant to their culture? No one would argue with me, right? Obviously, there was. And that's not the only story in the pre-modern world. God completely transformed the pre-modern cultures. It's the cannibalistic tribes in the forests of Brazil. It's bringing education to Asia. It's challenging the slave trade in West Indies. It's setting up these monasteries all over the Silk Road where travelers could rest and get medical help. For the longest of time, no one could argue that the gospel was very significant in the development of the world. So what happened that recently, many of us, we have questions on the relevance of God. What happened that though many of us are believers here, this question has definitely crossed our mind. Is God still relevant to us today? 
Now, to answer this question, I think we got to understand the two big shifts in human thinking. Now, the first one, it's, we call it modernity. Modernity began as a movement in the 1700s in the West. They call it an age of reason. So before that, people can accept that we don't understand everything about the world. There are things we understand, things that only God can understand. With the age of reason, people started saying, no, we cannot accept that. We need to understand everything. Everything needs to have a reason. Everything needs to be rational. Everything needs to have proof. And they believe there's this one universal objective truth, and by finding that, it would bring progress to society. So when the modernists are asking the question, is God relevant today? What they are actually asking is, can God be proven? Is he relevant? Where are the evidences? Is he rational? Is he logical? And so on and so forth. Now, Pastor Tim covered some of the arguments last week. I won't go through in detail. But although we cannot answer every question, there are a fair amount of top-notch thinkers and philosophers who would agree that our God, it's rationally coherent. Although we don't have the every evidence in the world, there are evidences, archaeological evidences, even up till today, being discovered that corroborates and confirms what's being said in the Bible. Although we cannot convince everybody, the gospel survived the age of modernity, not only without any decrease, there was significant growth through the modern period. Now, what is the second shift? We call it post-modernity. Post-modernity, it's a reaction towards modernity. So people started saying, okay, all this history, all these evidences, these are manipulated and controlled by those in power. So we can't trust them. They were disappointed. And while modernity is marked with rationalism, post-modernity, it's marked with skepticism, right? How many of your friends around you say, oh, we don't believe in the government, we don't believe in the news, we don't believe COVID is not actually a sickness, and all these things. And religion, it's part of it. While modernity was very objective, there's only one truth. Post-modernity, it's subjective. I have my truth, you have your truth, she has a truth, everybody has their own truth. That's okay. And while modernity pursued progress, post-modernity, it's about pursuing pleasure. We see all the experiences around us. It's getting more and more enhanced. Back then, we are grateful to even have food. Then we have different kinds of food. This beef, pork, chicken. And then now we got Wagyu beef. And then we got marbling eight. And then we got only this breed of Wagyu in Kobe. And it's just being enhanced at every level. Hotels are getting more and more luxurious. Experiences are getting more and more enhanced to 
excite our senses. It's the pursuit of pleasure. And I want you to take note of this. When the postmodernist world asks the question, is God relevant today? He is not asking the same question as the modernist world. He is not asking where is the proof. They are coming from a self-centered point of view. They are asking, can this God help me, serve me, and allow me to do what I want to do? Does this God fit my ideal of life? Can this God give me these experiences that excite and thrill me? Now, I think this is a far more complicated question. Churches all over the world are managing this. On one extreme, we have the liberals. Uh, They're saying, okay, so these are the questions they're asking. Let's just talk about what they want to hear. It's prosperity, blessings, supernatural encounter, and so on and so forth. Those things that they don't want to hear, let's not talk about that. On the other extreme are the fundamentalist churches. They are saying, let's just keep doing what we've been doing. Ah, these questions, let's not bother about them. And we see a huge movement of young people out of certain churches. So how do we maneuver this? Honestly, I I honestly don't know. It's way beyond me. Uh, My desire today is simply to use Scripture to show us some principles, and hopefully as a church, we can learn to tackle this question together. So God, we come today. We know we live in a complicated world, but you are the God of this world. Help us to see that. Help us to answer these questions with wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I think to answer that question, if God is relevant, we first got to understand God a little bit. And I want to use a, the story of Abraham to kind of bring out some nuances about God. See, Abraham's story, we got to understand, it takes place right after the peak of rebellion. This is the incident of the Tower of Babel. God scattered everyone because of their rebellion. And Abraham... It's God's chosen candidate to kickstart its rescue plan, okay? Genesis 12, Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Sometimes we think of our God as a God who limits us, restricts us, controls us, has all these complicated rules. It says here, His heartbeat is to bless, is to make our name great. And I just love this. It says, not just for Abraham. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm fast-forwarding a little bit, and God said, okay, I'm going to do it, make you a great nation through your offering. So Abraham goes to God and said, okay, but you have not given me any offspring. Do you mean it's a member of my household? It could be a relative, it could be a servant. God, do you mean that? And the Lord said, no, 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 no. 
your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven, number the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offering be. See this. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I have a question here. Has Abraham done anything so far? Has he made any great nation? Has he done any social reform? Has he done any charity work? Has he brought any good to his society? Absolutely nothing. But why is it that God calls him righteous? See, the word righteous comes from the word right relationship. What God is essentially saying here, it's when you believe in me, that's the right kind of relationship I want us to have. You don't need to be so great or do so many things. All I want you is to believe, to trust me. And he says to Abraham, okay, since you trust me, let's do a covenant. Now, in those days, they have an interesting practice. Today, we sign a contract, right? In those days, when they wanted to form a covenant, they would take all these animals, cows, goats, they would cut them in half and form a path of blood. What happens next? They both parties making the covenant would walk past that path of blood and what they were essentially saying is if we don't uphold our end of the covenant, what happened to the animals will happen to us. Okay, so you see all this, uh, bring me a heifer, female goat, turtle dove, and these things. It's God using the customs of the day and telling Abraham to prepare for a covenant. See what happened next. The sun was going down. Abraham fell asleep. And God starts reading the terms of the covenant. Now, who is supposed to walk past the path? It's God and Abraham, right? Both parties. Abraham is sleeping, so obviously he can't walk. And it says here, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the animals. So what's going on? It's a representation of God walking through the path of blood and it's God telling Abraham, let's do a covenant. I'll bring the blessings. I'll make you great. Your job is to believe in me. If I don't keep my end of the deal, what happened to the animals will happen to me. And he's also saying, if you don't keep the end of the deal, what happened to the animals is not going to happen to you. I am going to bear the consequences. It's kind of like I'm doing a business deal with you. I'm telling you, I'll bring in the money. I'll do all the work. You take the profits. And if anything goes wrong, don't worry. I'll bear the consequence. Now, any one of you want to do a business like that, please look for me. It's absurd, right? And it tells us the heart of God, that our God is the God who gives, blesses, protects, sacrifices himself, all that he wants. 
is for us to trust in Him. But who do we trust? I don't know about you. I trust myself. God says, love my neighbor, love my colleagues. I say, I love them, but they didn't love me. Uh, that's not a very good deal. They're taking advantage of me. Uh, I don't want to love them. God says, I can bring you rest. And we say, God, are you sure? I see my friend uh, sunbathing in Malibu. That sounds like rest to me. I think I'm going to trust them. And I want to show you that mistrust is in the seat of every one of us, including Abraham. God says, I will make your heir your offspring. It's from you. How much more clearer can it be? And Sarai said, hmm, I'm old, you are old. I don't think that's going to work. Maybe what God is saying is, He's going to give an offspring, but not through me. I'm old. It's going to be through a slave girl, Hagar. They trusted their own logic. They trusted their own rationale more than they trusted God. And I want to share with you that I think the institutionalization of mistrust is what leads to a postmodern world today. When the whole society starts to doubt God's character, it becomes a world of skepticism. When the whole of society wants to define their own way, it becomes a world of subjectivity. When all of society wants to serve our own desires, it becomes a world that pursues pleasure. And when we see that, we understand how absurd it is to say, just because God doesn't fit my way, then He's irrelevant. Of course, He does not fit our way. Our way is not that great. Imagine if we live in a world where every one of us gets our way. I'll be driving a traffic jam, suddenly I disappear because someone else is praying, uh, please take away all the other cars. Man, a world where all of us get our desires, that's not a good world. It's a scary world. When we come to a place where we acknowledge that our world is because of the human fallen condition, we stop asking, we stop wanting to transform God to fit our mold. We start allowing the gospel to transform us to be more like our God. Is Abraham a good guy? Let me ask you. He's a mixed bag, right? A good guy will not disobey God blatantly. A good guy will not sacrifice his wife just to protect himself. That's a story for another day. But see Abraham's crowning moment. As he walked with God, he came to a place where he was tested on whether he trusted God. This is the story of God asking him to sacrifice his own son, the son that God gave to him. See this, verse 5. Abraham says, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham knew before it even happened. 
he knew that God would not take away the son that he gave to him. Abraham looked at the commandment, asking me to sacrifice my son. That sounds evil. But I know that my God is a good God, and I'm going to trust him over all the rationale I have in my mind. And a transformation happened in him. He became a model of trusting in God. See, this transformation is not exclusive to Abraham. It's for all of us. It's for you and I. Second Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's new values, new beliefs, new desires, new lifestyle. And when we do that, we become his ambassadors. See, if, if people around you say God is irrelevant, I honestly think that that's partly our responsibility, right? We are the ambassadors. And I want to ask you this question. If every one of us here, 500 people, all of us start being this new creation, where the world is full of depression and anxiety, we are bringers of peace. Where the world has this cancel culture, we offer a hand of grace and forgiveness. Where the world is about fulfilling our insatiable desires, we are contented because we trust that He fulfills us. And all 500 of us start living like that. Will there be a difference to the people around us? Will there be a change of us into society? I don't know about you. To me, without a sliver of doubt, God is relevant to our world today. As we come to a close, I know I've said a lot of things. There's two things I want us to remember. As we take the bread, I want us to remember the very nature of our God. He is a loving God. He gives, He blesses, He forgives, He sacrifices. And on our path each day, maybe we become numb towards it, we start to doubt. As we take the bread together, let's tell Him, God, I trust that You are a God that loves and sacrifices for me. As we take the cup, I want us to be reminded that we are His ambassadors. How can people see God? It's through us. And I can count the million times that I am not loving, I am not forgiving, I am not gracious. Maybe you are like that today. That's okay. It's not to condemn any one of us. But we ask that God empower us to be better ambassadors, to show His love and grace to the world. Let's surrender this to Him as we take the cup. Father, we thank You. You are a loving God. You are a relevant God. And Lord, we are grateful that You are partnering with us as Your ambassadors to show Your love, Your grace, and Your character to the world around us. Lord, empower us, strengthen us, and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.